Hey friends, welcome back to The Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me for this week's message. Unfortunately, in recent years, we have all seen some headlines about scandals in the church. We've seen stories of church leaders and pastors and priests who have acted immorally and corruptly. This is always tragic and sad and very hurtful. Unfortunately, it's not actually a new thing. When we read through the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, we find that priests back then were also acting in corrupt and immoral ways. And as we look at today's lesson, we find out what happened and what the problems were in terms of abuse of power, apathy towards God, and anticipation of Christ. But whenever we read the Bible, we always find that hidden within the problems are hope for the future. So I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message from scoundrels to servants. Back in 1976, two Boston police officers were sitting around the station one day discussing the arrest of a Catholic priest for child molestation. Father John Gagan was a high-ranking cleric in the Catholic Church. An assistant district attorney entered the precinct and told the policemen not to let the press learn what had happened. The arrest was not publicized, and Father Gagan was released. In 2001, Marty Barron became the new managing editor of the Boston Globe newspaper. He met Walter Robbie Robinson, the editor of the newspaper's Spotlight investigative team. After Barron read a Globe article about a lawyer, Mitchell Garabedian, charging that Cardinal Bernard Law, the Archbishop of Boston, knew about Gagan's sexual abuse of children and did nothing to stop it. He urged the paper's spotlight team to investigate. Journalist Michael Resendez contacted Garabedian, who initially declined to be interviewed. Though he was told not to, Resendez revealed that he was on the spotlight team and convinced Garabedian to talk. Initially, believing that they were following the story of one priest who was moved to new assignments several times, the spotlight team began to uncover a pattern of sexual abuse by other priests in Massachusetts and an ongoing cover-up by the Boston Archdiocese. Through Phil Saviano, who headed a victim's rights group, the team was led to widen their search to 13 priests. Richard Sipe, a former priest who worked to rehabilitate sexually abusive priests, told them <coughs> that his studies suggested that there were approximately 90 abusive priests in Boston, 
about 6% of the total number of priests. Through their research, the team developed a list of 87 names and began to find victims to back up their suspicions. As the team realized the sheer scale of their investigation, it began to take a toll on their lives. Reporter Matt Carroll learned that one of the priest rehabilitation centers was on the same block as his family's home, but he couldn't tell his own children or his neighbors to avoid spoiling the story. Reporter Sasha Pfeiffer found herself unable to attend church with her grandmother. And Robinson faced pushback from some of his close friends who he learned were complicit in covering up the abuse. When the September 11th attacks occurred, the team was forced to deprioritize the story. But later, the Spotlight team learned that there were publicly available documents that confirmed that Cardinal Law was made aware of the abuse and ignored it. After the Globe won a case to have even more legal documents unsealed that produced the evidence of a larger picture, the Spotlight team finally began to write the story and decided to publish their findings in early 2002. When the story finally went to print, it included a link to the documents that exposed Cardinal Law's inaction and a phone number for victims of abusive priests. The next morning, the team was inundated with calls from victims coming forward to tell their stories. Cardinal Law finally resigned in December of 2002, but he was eventually promoted to the Basilica di Santa Maria Maggiore in Rome. As more investigations would eventually learn, Catholic priests who had abused children were discovered in over 100 different communities in the United States and in another 100 places around the world. Scandal has had a negative effect on the Catholic Church worldwide. When we read the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, we unfortunately discover that abuse by priests is not a new thing. The prophet Samuel was born into a time when the religious leaders in Israel were committing similar crimes against people who went to the temple to worship God. There have been times in the history of the church where religious leaders have failed, acted immorally, and looked the other way, allowing sinful behavior to continue. It leaves a black eye on the church. God is not pleased, and the Holy Spirit moves to clean house. The story in 1 Samuel 2 is about three things. The abuse of power, apathy towards God, and our anticipation of Christ. First of all, it's about abuse of power. 
1 Samuel 2, 11 to 18 says this. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or the priest would or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. This passage is about the abuse of power by the priests who were working in the temple. Eli was the head priest. His sons had become priests and were serving under him. But his sons were corrupt. The Bible here calls them scoundrels who had no regard for the Lord. They had no business being priests. They probably became priests because their father was the head priest, not because of their character or their personal faith in God. They were wicked men. Under the law of Moses, the priests received a specific portion of the sacrifices offered to God as their sustenance though the fat was to be burned to God. Eli's sons, however, would take the best portions of the meat, including the fat. This was a serious offense. The principle of the sacrifice was that you offered the best you had to God. The fat was explicitly reserved for God himself. When the people who had brought these sacrifices objected, Eli's sons would threaten them with violence. The Bible here condemns their actions in no uncertain terms as treating the Lord's offering with contempt. It was a high calling to represent Israel before God in the temple. But Eli's sons failed to see the great responsibility that came with their privileged position. Instead of honoring God, they were honoring themselves. Instead of giving the people's offerings to God, they were keeping their offerings for themselves. Instead of being servants, they were scoundrels. They were not representing who God was to the people, and they were not representing the people to God. Verse 18 gives us a hint that things are about to change. 
it tells us that Samuel was ministering before the Lord. This says that Eli's sons, who were supposed to be ministering before the Lord, were not. Samuel was different. Samuel understood what the priests were supposed to be doing. He saw how Eli's sons were behaving, but he did not join their sin. His character was what their character should have been. God was about to bring their corruption to an end. The second part of this chapter is about apathy towards God. 1 Samuel 2, 22-25 says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. For it was the Lord's will to put them to death. The actions of Eli's sons demonstrated an apathy towards God. Eli failed as a parent. Not only did they forcibly help themselves to the sacrificial meat offered to God, now we learn that Eli's sons were having sex with women who were serving in their place of worship. Eli confronted his sons about this and warned them about the seriousness of their offense. But he doesn't explicitly command them to stop. As the head priest, he had the authority to remove them from their positions. He could have suspended them or fired them. He didn't either. He allowed them to remain in a position where he knew they were abusing women and he did nothing to stop it. He was negligent. Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. His rebukes had no effect on his sons. They did not change their evil ways. They did not repent of their sins. They knew they could continue to get away with it and that their father would do nothing to stop it. Eli turned a blind eye to their sin, but God did not. Verse 25 tells us that it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Romans 3.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, and their death was coming. Eli's sons had grown up in the priesthood, and as such, they took their positions for granted. They knew they would not be held accountable. They did not respect God or his word. They did not respect the women who came to worship 
or the others who brought their sacrifices to the Lord. They were spiritually apathetic. Eli did not take the actions against his sons that he should have. So God stepped in to do what he should have. God will correct the situation. And then the third part of the story is about the anticipation of Christ. 1 Samuel 2, 26 to 36 says, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house, and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead. Point me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Here, God sends a prophet to Eli to berate him for scorning the high calling of his priestly office. Eli has honored his sons before God. The prophet declares that he will be the last old man in his family and his sons will both die on the same day. They will pay for their sins. The rest of his family who survive will be reduced to poverty. Regime change is coming. 
and there's nothing Eli can do to stop it. This is the bad news. The good news is that better times are coming. Better leaders are coming. God is going to raise up for himself a faithful priest. It's clear in the immediate situation that faithful priest will be Samuel. But Samuel is just an anticipation of the coming of Christ, who will be the ultimate, perfect, high priest we need. Christ will be the one who will never abuse his power and never be apathetic towards God. Verse 26 tells us that Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and his people. When Luke wrote his gospel, he picked up on this verse to describe Jesus. Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The early church father, Cyprian, considered Samuel to be a type of Christ. Just as Samuel's birth ushered in the era of the kings, so the birth of Jesus ushered in the era of the true king of Israel. As Samuel's birth foreshadowed the fall of Eli's priesthood, so the birth of Jesus foreshadowed the fall of the priesthood in his day. As Samuel denounced Israel's religious leaders for their corruption, Jesus would denounce the religious leaders of his day for their corruption. As Samuel would replace Eli, Jesus would replace the entire temple system itself. God's cleansing of Eli's failed temple leadership anticipates Christ's cleansing of the failed temple leadership in his time. God knows how to clean house, and he continues to clean house today. There were no spotlight journalists to uncover the abuse that Eli's sons were committing in the temple, but there was no way they could cover up their sins from God. God allowed their abuse and their apathy to continue for a season, but their time was limited. The bad news is that we continue to see corruption in the church today. We continue to see people abuse others, act apathetically towards God, and take the privileged positions they have for granted. 1 Samuel is telling us that when our hearts are hardened towards God and when we are not repentant of our sins, he will remove us from our responsibilities and he will replace us with those who follow his laws, those who are open and teachable and obedient. The good news is that regime change is coming. The corrupt leaders in our day will not remain in power. They will fall. They will be replaced. When we fail to do what is right in our generation, God will raise up a new generation to take our place. 
1 Samuel 2 is a story about how bad things can get. But it's also a story about how God will bring evil to an end, how God will raise up people with unselfish hearts, and how Jesus is the ultimate prophet who will make everything right between us and God. Justice will be done. Because of Jesus' resurrection, everything bad will one day be made untrue. And everything wrong will one day be made right in the end. God bless. Stay safe. See you soon.